and I said it. And Jeff Kessinger was like, no way. He's like, as we were praying, he goes, I felt that God just impressed upon my heart. This should be the name of the room. And it was exactly what I said. Okay. So, um, so again, I thank everybody who submitted names. Please don't get mad if we didn't pick your name. But here's the name of the back room. And it's this. The well. Okay. And I'm going to give you um, three reasons from John 4 why we're going to go with the name The Well. And so um, if you have an outline, if you're taking notes, um, let me give you three reasons why we're going to call this The Well. Um, Here's the first reason. The well is a place to gather. The well is a place to gather. So if you have your Bibles open or if you got a Bible turned on to John chapter 4, let me begin there in verse 1. It says, Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making more disciples and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize, but his disciples did, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. The sixth hour, now there's some debate on that. The sixth hour into Jews would have been noon, but in Roman time, it would have been six o'clock in the evening. So there's some debate whether it was noon or six o'clock in the evening. Um, how many of you know um, that's a non-essential, all right? Jesus was tired, all right? And, and the disciples, as we're going to say, whether it was noon or six, it was lunchtime or dinner time because um, the disciples had gone into the city to buy some food. So, um, so Jesus parks himself by the well. Now, why did he not go with the disciples, you know? I mean, why buy a well? Because here's the thing. It is a certainty that people are going to come to the well, all right? It is a, a certain, it is an absolute fact that people are going to be thirsty, and in that time, you weren't turning on your faucet. You had to go to the well in order to get the water. So people gathered at the well. Jesus knew, hey, some people are going to be gathering, and Jesus was always on mission, all right? He wasn't just, you know, going around. He was like, hey, I'm going to go to the well because I know someone's going to show up. I'm going to talk to them um, about the well and what's in the well and show them what the real well is about. And so he's sitting there, And he knows people are going to gather. He knows that people are going to show up. And so the well was always a gathering point for people. And and in Jesus' time, it was primarily women that went to go get the water. And so women would come. They would get water for their household. They would get water for any animals they had to to, to water. And so it became a place where where women would come to gather. If you remember back in the book of Exodus, and when Moses left Egypt and he was fleeing um, fleeing because of his, his murder that he committed, he came to a well. And do you remember who was there? The women, his future wife and his future um, sister-in-laws, all right? And, and so Jesus is sitting at this well and he knows that people are gonna gather. 
And so I started thinking about that. I'm like, you know, prior to Jesus coming to the well, imagine a typical day where women are coming down to the well. Only one person can draw water at a time. So if there's three or four women waiting for the well, hey, do you think there's some conversations going on? So, Susan, how's your household going? Well, it's going pretty good. How about you, Margaret? How, how, how's your life? Oh, things are going well. You know, we call this, when we go to work, we are gathered around what? The water cooler. All right? Why? It, it's, it's symbolic of, hey, we're gathering, and we're just, you know what? I, I'm over in this part of the office, and what is that? It sounds like a cricket. Okay? And so, if you guys can figure that out, be patient with that. So, so if you're in a different part of the office and you don't get to see Bob very often, hey, when you're passing by the water cooler, guess what we're going to do? We're talking. We're gathering. We're going we're to build the relationship a little bit. So at the well, you've got to believe that when women would come to draw water, they're talking. They're, they're building relationships. Community is happening at the well. So guess what's going to happen in our well? We're going to gather, all right? We're going to build community. Relationships can be built back there. We're starting tonight, you know? Like I said, the elders and I basically christened it by having our first elder meeting in the well. Tonight, we're going to gather as a church, and we're going to, we're going to break bread. We're going to eat food, and we're going to sit together, and we're going to talk. We're going to converse. We're going to have, we're going to have a good time tonight, but relationships are going to be built, okay? We're going to, we're going to gather, in the well. And we're going to have other events where we can have, you know, potlucks and, and special meals back there. It can be utilized now as a place because the way it's done, we can do weddings back there. We can do wedding rehearsals or whatever back there. We can do now funerals back there. We can gather in a, play, in a way like before we can never do. Um, now, small groups can meet back there. Sunday morning, I'm a, you know, and Jeff, you know, Jeff Kessinger teaches our Sunday morning adult class, and I know the room that they're in, it gets crowded in there. So we've already said, hey, if you get to a point where it gets too crowded, you are able to move your class back to the back room because now it's done in a way where it doesn't look like a garage. But now it's like, hey, this is, this is comfort. This is like a great place to be, all right? So the well is going to be a place to gather. And that's what we're going to be doing tonight. We're going to be gathering as God's people, coming together, enjoying the company, enjoying some good food, but we're going to meet and gather at the well. Here's the second um, reason why we're naming it the well. The well is a picture of the depth of God. The well is a picture of the depth of God. So now look at verse 7. So Jesus is sitting at the well, hanging out. And in verse 7, it says, And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Now let me just stop right there because this is some history. Um, Truth time, how many of you do not understand why Jews and Samaritans did not intermingle? Anybody? You're like, I'm not quite sure, Jim. I'll raise my hand because I'm not quite sure. I had to look this up, all right? Here's why. Samaritans were actually a half-breed. They were Jew and Gentile. 
And the way that came about was you had to go all the way back in their history when the Assyrians conquered Israel. So when the Assyrians conquered Israel, guess what the Jews, the, the Israelites, began to do with the Assyrians? Intermarriage. And then having babies. And so they, they mixed the pure blood of being Jewish with these pagan worldly people of the Assyrians. And now you've got generations of mixed breeds. And so in Jesus' time, you had Jews that looked at the Assyrians and said, if you're not a pure Jew, you are a dog to me. And we want nothing to do with you. The, the, the real Jews, the pure Jews, could not accept these half Jews or quarter Jews or whatever percentage Jew was in them because they were intermixed with Gentile. And to a Jew, a Gentile, oh, no, you are low, like you're underneath my sandal, okay? And so these Samaritans were treated very harshly and badly by the Jews. So this woman is really perplexed why Jesus, a Jew, is even talking to her in the first place. And even the fact that a man is talking to a woman in the, is, is, is bonkers. And so she's really like perplexed on this. But in verse 10, Jesus said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And in verse 11, here it is. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with. The well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? Now, there's two things she says there. One, the well is deep. Now, this is in Jesus' time, and she and we've already read, and she even says, she goes, this is the well that Jacob gave us. This is Abraham's grandson, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, thousands of years earlier. And this well is still in existence. So that means that this well, and I, you know, I sat and thought about this. How did they dig wells back then? You know, now we've got some kind of machine that just drills down, drills down, and however far it's got to go. But that well was dug so deep that it tapped into a source of water that was not drying up. And so for thousands of years, here's this woman going, well, our great, 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 great grandfather Jacob, that he built this well, and we're still drinking out of it. And she looks at Jesus like, the well's deep. How are you getting water out of it? Because you don't have anything to draw with. And I thought, and when I read that, I'm like, the depth of that well. You see, you don't, when you, when you make a well, you don't go down 10 feet and go, oh, hey, we got water. Because how many of you know that water's drying up? You got to go down deep to tap into a source that has, a, that has so much in it, it's not running out. And I read that and I'm like, man, this, depth, this well is deep. And for me, it parallels the depth of God. Because there is something about God that he can't, you can't tap and get everything out of God. You can't begin to to, to, to tap into how deep he is. Because in, just make note of these references, these scripture references. In Romans chapter 11, verse 33, Paul writes and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. 
how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. You see, Paul's like, okay, God is so deep in his understanding and his knowledge, you can't get to it. He's like, his judgments are, are, are like so much and, and, and everything about him, you can't trace God out. You can't get to the bottom of God. He's so much. I mean, you, you look at the, the, the deepest well, God is deeper. And you can't get to the bottom of God. You can't get to who he is. In Job chapter 9, verse 10, Job says this. He says, talking about God, he says he performs wonders that cannot be fathomed. Miracles that cannot be counted. You know, when sailors go out into the ocean, especially in the old, um, old sailing times, they would throw a rope out with a weight, and, and that rope would have different measurements on it, one fathom, two fathom, three, and it would go down. And, 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 when that, and, and as that rope would fall, there would be a sailor calling out, three fathoms, five fathoms, seven fathoms, 10 fathoms, until it hits the bottom. Because that ship needed to know how deep is the water. And so a fathom measures the depth of the water. Job says, God cannot, what he does cannot be fathomed. Meaning, he, you, you can't measure the depth of it. it it's unfathomable. He, he, he's greater than that. In the book of Psalm, chapter 145, verse 3. David writes, he says, great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. His greatness, no one can fathom. Hey, how great is God? I don't know. Hey, what can, how, how much can God do? I don't know. How awesome is God? I really don't know. How, why don't you know? Because he's unfathomable. You can't measure him. You can't measure the width, the depth, the height. You can't measure God. You can't put him in a box. He's unfathomable. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. He says, do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary. His understanding has no fathom. I love that. He's like, hey, hey, hey. Have you not heard lately? Have you not seen the news? Have you not been on Facebook? Have you not been on Instagram? Here's what this has been saying about God. He is unfathomable. His understanding, you can't grasp it. He is beyond measure. The well is deep. You see, this is what you and I, what a great truth for you and I to, re, to remember, to sink our teeth into. Because let me ask you, um, do you ever get a place where you, you, you doubt God? Do you ever get to the place where you start to wonder, is, is, can God come through? Do you ever start to wonder, does God really know? You see, this is teaching us that God is deep. The well is deep. The well of God is deep. He is deeper than any ocean that can be fathomed. He is deeper than any sea that can be tapped into. He is deep. But notice the second thing the woman says. She says the well is deep, but then he, she asks him a question. She's looking at Jesus and says, Are you greater than our father, Jacob? And I sat there and, you know, Jesus goes on real quick to say, hey, and, and he responds. But I wonder if Jesus just paused and went, 
looked at her and I'm like, really? Really, really? Am I greater than Jacob? I am the I am. He's like, there's nobody greater than me. In fact, I created Jacob and everything around him. I am greater than him. You see, that's the thing that we need to understand about God. God is deep and God is great. You know, I, I, I was thinking about this um, a, a few weeks back when I was talking about the goodness of God when we're in James. And how many of you grew up with this simple prayer at supper time? God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for our food. Amen. I think about that. We never taught our kids that. And I remember saying that like all the time as a kid. And yet it's such a simple truth, but it's full of deep truth. God is good. God is great. And yet the Bible teaches us over and over and over. You cannot box God in. But let me ask you a question, rhetorical. Do you do that? How many times do we want to make God, this God who is unfathomable, this God whose understanding is unfathomable, this God whose greatness is unfathomable, this God who is creator of everything, this God who cannot be put in a box, this God who is far beyond us, we want to take this God and put him on a shelf. We want to take this God who is unfathomable and put him inside of our box. Why? Because we want to manage God. We, we, and here's the thing, if you can manage God, he is not God. I don't want a God that I can manage because if I can manage him, then that's saying I'm still in control. And how many of you know, there are times where life gets out of control. There are times that we are going through things that we have no control over. There are times that when you get that report from the doctor and, 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 and it's cancer and he's like, we're going to have to see how many of you know, you don't want a God that you can control that time. When, when you lose your job and you're not sure where things are going, you don't want a God that you can manage. You need a God that is unfathomable. You need a God that is, is beyond my box because there are times where I've got to step into that and go, God, I have to trust you. I can't see beyond this mountain. I can't see beyond this pain. I can't see beyond the hurt. So God, I need to trust in you that you are greater than this thing. You are so much greater than this thing. Because I don't know where it's going to land. You know, how many of you struggle with the love of God? With your sin? And the enemy always wants to convince us that, that your love, that God's love for you is going to run out because your sin's too great. He, he's always trying to convince us that God loves you, everybody else but you. And how many of you struggle with that? You know, I, I sit and think about in the book of Lamentations, chapter three, it says the steadfast love of God never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. How can that be possible? How can the steadfast love of God never cease? How can his mercies never come to an end? Here it is, unfathomable. It's deep. Okay, it, 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 it can't be tapped. There is no amount of five fathoms or 10 fathoms or a million fathoms that's going to reach to the bottom of his love and say, oh, there it is. 
That's where it runs out. No, it does not. That's why you and I, when you're feeling that weight and that shame, the guilt that the enemy wants to place upon you to say, man, you've made a mess of your life so bad. You've done so many bad things. There's no way that the love of God can love you. That's where you've got to tap into the understanding that the love of God is unfathomable. His mercies are unfathomable. His compassion is unfathomable. It is deep. The well is deep. And then here's the third reason why we're naming the back room the well. The well represents the unfulling or unfulfilling nature of the world. The well represents the unfulfilling nature of the world. So she asks Jesus, are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well. Look at verse 13. And Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, this woman was still thinking naturally. She was still thinking, well, Jesus, um, if you will give me water, then I won't thirst. I won't have to come to this well. And she was still not getting it. And Jesus like, I'm telling you, you, you draw water out of this thing, it'll satisfy your thirst momentarily. It may satisfy your thirst for several hours, but I'm telling you, you're going to have to come back here again and get more water because you'll have to drink. You see, that's the natural. In the natural, we always have to be drinking something, okay? We can't go very long without feeling the thirst. And I thought of that just as our bodies will thirst again. Jesus is talking about a, a, a water that will satisfy a different kind of thirst. The thirst that happens within us spiritually, that inner thirst. You see, the enemy wants to convince you and I that um, the things of the world is what satisfies. You see, this is why 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, for all that is in the world... The desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of possessions is not from the Father, but from the world. You see, the enemy wants to use the world, the, the culture, and he wants to convince us these are the things that make you happy. These are the things that will satisfy. These are the things that are going to fill you up. So <clears throat> what do we do? We chase after them. We chase after more relationships. This is why single people will bounce from one relationship to another relationship because I'm like, well, this one's not doing it for me, so I'm going to go to this one. This one's not doing it for me anymore. This is why married people will have affairs and get divorced because, well, my spouse isn't doing it for me. I just feel empty. I need to get another spouse. I need to have an affair because that... And we keep chasing after that. We will chase after more money. We will chase after more careers. We chase after more stuff. We chase after alcohol and drugs. We chase after entertainment. We, whatever it is, we think that this stuff, if I can just get enough of it, it will satisfy the thirst. Well, let me ask you, when, when it's a hot summer day out and you've been out mowing or working outside, you've been outside, you just, and you come in and you are just parched. It's like you just haven't drank and your, your mouth is just like, and you're just like, and, and let me ask you, you, you drink one glass of water and you're like, oh, and you drink two glasses of water. 
And you're like, man, this is not enough. You get a pitcher and you drink a pitcher of water. You're like, oh, that's still not enough. You take a gallon and you're like, you drink a gallon. Now your stomach's out to here. And you're like, oh, I'm so bloated. I drank so much. Let me ask you, um, are you going to be thirsty again? Absolutely. It doesn't matter how much water you take in. Guess what? You will be thirsty. If you're thirsty on Monday, you're going to be thirsty on Tuesday. And so it doesn't matter how much of the world we take in. It never satisfies. It never fills the void. It never fills the emptiness. It, it, there's always a restlessness, no matter how much we get. If we don't have the true living water of Christ, there's something wrong. There's something like, I'm still missing something. You see, this is why Jesus says right here, let me read it again. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. You see, Jesus is, Jesus is moving past the natural to the spiritual. He's moving past the, this doesn't matter. The water in this well isn't what's mattering. The water that I'm going to give will well up inside of you to eternal life. The water that I give, and he's talking about himself. He's talking about the, the, the life that he can give when we come to know him through faith. When we come to that place where we, we look at our life and go, man, I've been trying to fill up on all this stuff. I, I've, I've been trying to, 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 to live according. I, I just want to live for self. I want to live in, in, in my own way, on my own terms. I'm going to do whatever I can. And, 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 but we always just keep coming up empty. We just keep coming up like, man, something is just broken. It's not right. You see, this is Christ. Christ wants to satisfy the sin. He wants to take out the sin. He wants to, to, to that sin nature that's always hungry. He wants to fill the void. And maybe that's you today. And maybe you're wrestling with life right now. Maybe you have been wrestling with, you know what, man? I, 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 I've, been wanting, I've been trying all this stuff. I've been needing all this stuff and something's wrong with me. I'm telling you, it's only Christ that can satisfy that thirst within. It's only Christ that when you come to him by faith and say, Jesus, forgive me, cleanse me of my sin, cleanse me for living for self, living life on my own terms, come in and be my savior. That's the living water that comes in and satisfies the inner thirst. And maybe that's you today. You know, we're going to get ready to have a baptism here in just a second. And as we're, as we're doing the baptism, I would like you to just think about where you are spiritually. And after the service, if you're like, you know what? I, I need to figure out what's going on. I'm going to be out in the foyer. Come and talk to me. Come and say, Jim, um, tell me more about this Jesus because I don't know him. And, and I want to introduce you to him. But for now, we're going to have a baptism. Everybody okay with that? So I'm going to get my shoes off here. I want the worship team to come up because they're going to get ready to go. Now, um, the first young man that's going to be baptized is Chris. And um, Chris is autistic. So we're going we're gonna to do baptism a little bit different for Chris. His mom is going to be standing up here and holding Chris's hand. So Chris feels comfort from his mom. 
And um, I'm not going to take Chris underneath the water. Chris and I, we're going to stand there, and I'm going to put my arm around Chris, and we're just going to go down to our shoulders and come up because he really gets freaked out with water on his head. So I'm going to go to about his shoulder, and I told his mom, I go, it still represents him going down, coming up. And so we're going to do that. So Chris, why don't you come up, buddy? Can you guys put this up? Thanks, Cody. Okay, come on up the stairs. Whoa, my mic's on. Christ is your Savior. I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.
Hey, why don't we all stand and get ready to close the worship? How exciting is that? Very, very, very cool.